Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Grace, and along with my partner, Jack Humphrey, we are the co-founders of TheLeverages.com and Divisio.com. How are you today, Jack? I am great. How are you in Florida? I am awesome. Beautiful, gorgeous weather that we're having down here. Leaving the hurricanes to other folks for a change, which is awesome. And we have got a fantastic <laughs> guest for everybody today. Yes, we do. We have Sterling Hawkins, who's become a master of innovation through massive changes and obstacles he's overcome in his own life. From selling the first company he founded in 2004 to flat broke, from a broken family business to a successful one, and from fear of public speaking to keynoting at conferences around the world, Sterling's story is a perfect example of how anyone can take any situation and create anything from it. As a business leader, entrepreneur, investor, and futurist, Sterling is an internationally renowned keynote speaker, and as a fifth-generation retailer and still very much active in retail innovation, he's worked with the likes of Stanford, Cornell, and the University of Texas to create the future of commerce, and today he values evaluates over 1,000 innovative technologies annually, which are looking to dynamically transform retail and how people fulfill on their wants and needs. Sterling, welcome to Leverage Masters. Good morning. Thank you. Great to be with you guys. That is awesome. That's a great warm-up, but we always have to ask at the beginning of every show, what's the one thing that you're really super excited about today? What got you out of bed today? Uh, going to a yoga class. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what, it's the best way for me to get out of bed is looking forward to kind of stretching out, waking up, getting my mind clear for the day and getting started on a fresh foot. I love that. I can't do anything without... Uh, getting some tea in the morning and heading out to the park with my golden retriever mojo. And if I miss that, I have an off day <laughs> and it's really yeah, hard it sometimes when it's snowing right? outside. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's so funny is I'm from central New York originally, and I've been in Southern California now, God, probably seven, eight years and all my friends make fun of me as I've gone like full west coast because I'm into yoga juicing being outside and the whole thing but you know once you've got weather like this you got to use it oh yeah I mean you just can't sit inside with a in a place like that (laughs) it's like uh, our place in Indiana in the summer but then the rest of the time is kind of iffy but we still try to get outside so (laughs) How does that have any effect on what you do? Like, what's your day like? What do you feel like after you've uh, gotten up and had some asparagus grass or whatever you Californians do? And, <laughs> some uh, kind of green and, uh, and then get to yeah, <laughs> and then get to work. What's that? What's that like for you? Yeah. 
Well, I travel a ton. So I'm on the west side of L.A., which is closer to the airport out here, which is nice. And, you know, there's no such thing as an average day for me because I'm sometimes on the road for 30, 45 days at a time. And other times I'm um, home in L.A. for the whole month. And so it really is like after I refresh myself, get some yoga going, maybe a green juice, something to eat for breakfast, then I, I just orient myself around, well, what are my intentions for the day? What does my calendar look like? And where do I want to end up at the end of the evening? And uh, very rarely do I actually accomplish all those things, but it feels good just to know, like, where am I in relation to the realities that I've got? Yeah. Well, you don't have a cubicle or walls or bosses or anybody else to put those kinds of boxes around you and say what you're going to do at 1 p.m. and all of that. I mean, that's the entrepreneur's dilemma, right? It's uh, <laughs> Some people find it to be, until they get a, a regimen down like you've described, sort of too exposed. I remember driving from northern uh, Colorado into Wyoming um, for the first time, and I got reverse claustrophobia. It, the the southern <laughs> part of Wyoming on the border of Colorado is so incredibly expansive, so wide mm. open, and there's literally nothing for miles, horizon to horizon, to hide behind. And I don't know why I had the thought that I would need to hide behind anything, but it was. But you get that sense when you're over, when you feel overexposed, when you feel like, wow, I, I asked for no boundaries, but wow, this is really, really big. It's just sky and ground and, and buffalo. You can hide behind a buffalo, but they don't take kindly to that. But is that, yeah. a kind, of a, is that kind of something you have to watch out for? But totally. And, and what you're pointing to, I think, is a, a key function of a lot of the stuff that I talk about with innovation and, and doing things newly is that there's a common desire for no restraints, no boundaries. I want to be free. And I, I totally get it, but it's only half of the equation without some kind of boxes, whether they're self-imposed or imposed by others, there's no direction. There's no fruition of what you ultimately want to accomplish. And you're exactly right. It is the hardest thing working for myself is putting those boxes around myself because they're uncomfortable. And oftentimes I don't want to do them. And if I don't kind of fit myself into, okay, I'm going to accomplish this today. And, you know, here's my goal next week. And here's kind of my to-do list. then I don't end up with the end result that I'm looking for. Well, these are the, these are the kinds of things that stop you in the morning from having Chardonnay instead of uh, green juice. (laughs) Right. I mean, a lot of people. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people just don't get that. They don't, um, they're, you know, they're like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to do all this stuff. And then you find them struggling and you find out that um, they didn't prepare for all of the things that they sort of took for granted in a job situation that weren't there anymore. The, um, that, you know, there were people that would, would, schedule meetings with you and give you deadlines and all kinds of stuff. And you start to realize right off the bat, I, I'm responsible for all of that now, you know, and mapping out my future is like that. Nobody's going to tell me how, and nobody's going to make me do anything. And that's kind of why I signed up for this, but Holy cow, that's kind of a, that's kind of hard for people to do. They get lost. It is very hard. 
to do because, you know, they don't tell you this. But to work for yourself or start your own company, you need to become a master of balancing that sweet spot between chaos and order, or, you know, the ultimate expanse and limitlessness and getting stuff done on a daily basis. And it's not easy. It's not something that I think comes naturally to humans, but it's necessary. Yeah, yeah. I see in your bio a word that I really, really love because I love talking to people with this word behind their name, futurist. And I wanted to ask you, you know, what, what are people going to be saying 50 years from now about this era we're going through where we're sort of ripping ourselves away from the old idea of, you know, having a job for a certain amount of time. I think we're pretty much over that. I mean, the millennials are completely, they've never even lived in that world. But <laughs> there are us, those of us who remember we're coming from that era where you'd get a gold watch and you'd retire and all that. And now it's, uh, it's moving into something new. And I guess we do have a generation that since they have no experience with the former um, it's easier for them. They, I guess, live in that world now. But we are still, it still feels like a transitory thing. We feel like we're in transition to a new world order of doing things, how people live, how people work, um, and, and experience life in a much, much different way than our parents did. Um, do yeah. you feel, do the people that you talk to and work with, do you feel like they're still shaking off those shackles? Oh, totally. I think you're exactly right. Like there's, there's definitely a shift going on. And, and oftentimes within cultures, there are, are shifts. But this one's, I think, going to be one of those big ones we look back on and say, hey, you know, remember when things used to be this way. And what I love about it is that as part of this shift, it's almost like a return to people getting to be more human, having more authentic connections, doing what it is that they love to do, um, expressing themselves through social media, through different channels, and not just expressing for the sake of expressing, but having it connected to different changes, different developments that they actually want to see in the world. So I think it's very cool to watch. Yeah, it is. It's just, uh, it's a digital Petri dish. And it seems like we're always at the microscope looking into it and watching cells divide and, and all of this innovation and and, uh, and, you know, while I alluded earlier that it was hard for some people, it's also we've taken to it as a species quite easily in some ways, too, or quite readily. Like, people are just easing into this kind of stuff and accidentally coming out with careers like YouTube people um, or people on Udemy that are doing courses and training people and coaching people there is a sense, too, on the other end of the spectrum where people just fall really nicely into this stuff sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it still blows my mind the kinds of, you know, seven, eight-figure careers that I see from YouTube people and Instagram and so on. And, and you're right. It, it does feel like a really natural progression for a lot of folks. And what's, what's funny is I, I get the question a lot, like, oh, are robots going to take over the world and all these technologies you're working with and this and that? And, y you know, I think we're developing all these tools so we can have better lives. I mean, we're not developing a world so robots can take over. We're using these different tools, be it, you know, some kind of automation or autonomous vehicles or something as simple and expected today as YouTube 
to make our lives better. Did you see yesterday, I think it was, the announcement of the first private person who is going to take the first trip in the BFR, the big freaking rocket uh, of, <laughs> of SpaceX, around the moon? It's a Japanese billionaire. Um, mm-hmm. And they and I guess people had been applying to be the first person to go up as a space tourist and uh, fly around the moon and come back. There's crazy stuff yeah. happening in this world that we live in now. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's so cool. Yeah, that happened right down the street from me. I'm not too far from SpaceX. Um, oh wow! But it, you know, I've been in in some shape or form the technology world for kind of twenty something years. And it's always been a lot of fun. There's always been some cool things happening, but it used to be a lot of, you know, fairly boring hardware and tons of software. And today, you know, with things having developed as they have, the number of demonstrable technologies um, just blows my mind. I mean, you've got drones delivering products, private companies sending people around the moon, cars driving down the street by themselves. I mean, it's like we're living in the future. Yeah, yeah, the one that we thought we might miss and maybe our kids would enjoy, It's uh, a lot of it's here already. Uh, that's kind of strange. Cause, and then some things, you know, I still don't have my flying car, and uh, and my car doesn't sound like that Jetson sound or anything like that yet. But, I mean, you know, <laughs> we're getting there. There are cars that fly now. We're just not allowed to use them yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I saw an announcement by Uber a little while back that they're working on drone taxis and they're going to start beta testing them in Los Angeles in a couple of years. It's like, wow. Yeah. Like, of, of course that's supposed to happen, you know, that, cause that's what happens in the future. And I guess we're there. And there's yeah. a, that great quote, like the future's here already and just not evenly distributed. And that's totally true. There's so many companies now that you see in the press and the media, many of which are already, you know, pretty prevalent that we're engaging with. And then there's examples yeah. you point to, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's happening. Now, in your experience, what, uh, wh- how, how are you seeing some clashes with this kind of stuff? Because the one thing that hasn't changed in all of this, and the, the, the area of least innovation uh, in all of this, which is maybe problematic, is human nature. Which hasn't changed one iota since since we started at least farming, right? So like we're basically monkeys in faster, shinier, nicer cars with toys, but we haven't changed as a species materially, have we, for quite a long time? No, you're exactly right. It's a little scary when you put it like that, right? Uh, <laughs> but but for sure, I mean, the the thing with innovation and all these things is that change sounds sexy. Like everybody wants a new year's resolution. They want that change to happen. But when it comes down to actually having to do something different or behave in a new way or give something up or learn a new interface, all of a sudden, you know, you get that very human response of, Oh no, I don't actually want to do that. Or, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a great idea to have, uh, you know, a New Year's resolution to have a new diet, but three weeks later, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to have a slice of pizza tonight. No problem, right? Yeah. So it, it is clashing with with the 
human nature. It sure does give us um, a steady stream of clients at all times, though, right? Because it's the human <laughs> yeah. software that that reluctance to actually change. Like, okay, let's say Uber drops a drone in front of your house that you can get in and fly, and it'll fly you automatically around. Now, you may have yeah. subscribed to all of the nice magazines, the tech, and everything else, and you might even have. I would love to see some of these tech bloggers um, be presented with this sort of dilemma. Are you going to get in that thing once it actually happens that you've been talking about for a decade on your blog? Are you going to be the first to do it? I, I wonder how many of them would sort of lose bladder control uh, at the spot, yeah. uh, the prospect of getting what they want. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's so funny. It's it's kind of scary to realize your vision or to have some of the things that you've been working on for, you know, in some cases, decades come to fruition. But what's so cool about this time is that the pace of innovation, how fast these innovations are coming, is accelerating. It's something like for a thousand U.S. dollars, you can buy a computer processor with the processing power equivalent of like a a mouse brain, which is you know, impressive, but by 2045, <laughs> not all that long from now, a thousand U.S. dollar processor buys you the processing power of all human beings that will be alive at that point. It's like nine billion people. Wow. And factually, we know that, but we're literally unable to comprehend those things. And the opportunity that this period of time gives us is to really open ourselves up to growth human growth, to be able to cope with that change and uh, kind of stretch outside of our comfort zone or those boxes that we put ourselves in that we don't realize we put ourselves in to become something new. Yeah. And that's where I think amazing things happen. It, I think so. I, I agree, actually, but I'm going to play devil's advocate. Yeah. We, if an alien race landed on this planet today and saw the shiny, fast, high-tech stuff that we have, they might not think it's so fancy. They might th think it's, you know, they got here, so they're, actually, they're going to be <laughs> more advanced than us. But they're going to compare right. our technology to what we're actually doing with our lives, and they're going to have yeah. a serious disconnect because most of humanity really doesn't do those nice things that we always talk about on this show, growth. And keeping up with it, I think it, I personally think that it's incumbent upon us, it's our responsibility to somewhat match these wonderful things we're doing with science and technology with our, with our human nature, with our growth as a species. But you always see these memes on social media where people are almost getting hit by buses because they're sucked into their phones. and they're, It's like every little advancement we make, we want to sit, it seems, on our laurels and just play around on Facebook or whatever. I don't know that we were meant to become <laughs> complacent when we should be keeping up with all of this stuff and advancing ourselves as well as the technology. At least that's my devil's advocate point of view. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't think those two ideas are at odds with each other. I mean, all innovation is a double-edged sword. You know, there's a good use and a, a not-so-good use. Just take nuclear energy, for example, right? But what mm -hmm. the opportunity looks like for people is to step into that growth, to convert their idea or their new possibility or even their New Year's resolution into something that actually gets manifested, something they end up doing. Mm 
is probably by doing something that they don't really want to do. And it's things like, well, you know, you haven't talked to that relative in 20 years, so call them. Oh, you're, you're scared of heights. We'll go skydiving. You're scared to speak something I dealt with myself, right? I'm scared to stand up in the front of the room and talk to people. Well, you know, do that. And it's through doing those things that the ideas you have, the possibilities you see actually start to become real in the world. And you've got to face those things. And, yeah, it might come okay, with bearing yourself in Facebook sometimes. But we're here. Yeah. Well, I was going to say uh, that was the quintessential easier said than done list of things to do. Right. I mean, because yeah. <laughs> there are people listening right now who think that you have some sort of an edge. They hear that in your bio that you were scared of public speaking and then you overcame it. And I think a yeah. lot of people right at that point start to attribute qualities in your nature that are different, higher, better, somewhat, somehow, you know, you figured out something that they couldn't. They're also scared of public speaking, but they haven't jumped out of that plane yet. And they think that you are special. Can you describe to people how not special you are, if you, if you may, <laughs> and that, you know, that you did something that a lot of people, they go up to the line and then they chicken out. Why didn't you chicken out? Yeah. Yeah, well, you, you hit the nail on the head. I'm, I'm not special. I have the same human capacities as most every other human. And it's different things that I've developed, I've honed in on in the world of like performance. Yeah, you know, I've specialized in these things and doctors have specialized in those things and everybody's specialized within some area within their lives. But that doesn't mean that's what you're limited to, right? It just means what you've limited yourself to. And there's a difference. And for me, and I'll, I'll just kind of walk you through some of the stories, see if you hear anything of it. But I went to, you, you've heard of Toastmasters, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah it's a, a speaking group, and they've got clubs all around the world. And my mom had always told me when I was a kid, oh, you go to Toastmasters to learn how to speak. And I thought it was this, you know, old organization and probably wasn't around anymore. And, yeah, I typed it into Google and Lo and behold, wow, it's, it's super active. It's really large. There's clubs around me. And I went to three or four different clubs, and I just sat there. And the great thing was I really didn't say much. I maybe introduced myself and told them how I, I found the meeting, something along those lines, but really didn't have to, you know, give a speech or put myself too much out there. Mm-hmm. And it was the fourth or fifth club that I went to that the audience seemed a little bit more – a little warmer, a little more receptive, or maybe I was just more open to it because I've been to three or four clubs at this point. And they said, well, Sterling, do you want to give a speech on the spot? And my first reaction was, no way. I definitely don't want to do that. (laughs) But something, I was like, well, you know what? It's now or never. And I was at a point in my life where what I was doing wasn't working. And the pressure was great enough where I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to talk to not all that many people. There were maybe eight, ten people in the meeting. Um, and it was a, a terrible speech. I still know some of the people that I spoke to. But the point was that I did it. And, you know, I think the same thing goes for everybody. 
if you, your life isn't working or there's things in your business that you want to develop or there's things that you want to scare that you're scared of, just taking a small first step, it doesn't have to be anything special, but a small first step gets you going in the right direction and then you see it as possible to maybe take that next one. Do you think that there is any way we could improve ourselves and and do some of these scary things, jump out of things, jump in front of people, talk to them? Um, do you think that it's possible for a human being to do that when everything's just going swimmingly? Because I hear people preface that with the way that you just did all the time. I had gotten mm-hmm. to a turning point. I'd hit rock bottom. I and then mm-hmm. just fill in all the blanks of every beginning of every story until they did something. I'm starting to empirically collect <laughs> the results of, of human achievement here, at least through our little show and all of the guests that we've had all, all these years. And I'm starting to believe that if you're too comfortable, you would never, you won't move, you won't do anything. Is that does that ring any bells for you? Yeah, I, I think when it comes to human growth and potential and performance, comfort's the em- enemy. There's a place for it. You know, I'm all about meditation and yoga and getting enough rest and um, going on vacation and everything else. But when it comes to getting things done, staying in comfort doesn't get anything new done. And I can say that with 100% assurance because – if you could, you would have done it already. Mm. That's where people get stuck in their businesses and their careers, even, even in their lives sometimes, is that stuck feeling. That's not real. That's just you bumped up against the edges of your comfort zone. And if you step out into that new space, well, new things are possible and you're no longer stuck. Yeah. And something has to be there. I mean, if you're at the edge of the pool and you've never dove before uh, mm-hmm. and your dad is there, some people's dads are like John Wayne and they'll just throw you in the pool and then tell you, swim, <laughs> you swim. And other people have, you know, have taken the uh, psychological thing, which is just if they're very adept at, at what they're doing and, and a lot of parents are, it's almost like just getting physically pushed into the pool, but you're getting mentally pushed. And, and there's something, or and when you're out on your own, then life will take that role and say, "Look, you need to do something. You need to move. You need to do something. And if you don't, I'll just make it so you have less money. I'll make it so you don't have a job at all. I'll make it so you. I mean, you're going to move one way or the other. And it's funny that when you look at life like that, when you look at humanity and all the stuff that we go through, mm-hmm. how well that template applies and lays over everything that we do. Kind of wild. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. And I think the opportunity in that is: Do you want life to happen to you? Do you want to get pushed in the pool by somebody else, or do you want to jump on your own terms? And it's it's not easy. And sometimes life will do it to you, and it'll end up throwing you in the pool anyways, right? But the great part yeah. about the human mind is that you can cultivate. An emergency, you can cultivate having to jump out of the airplane or stand up on stage or jump in the deep end or whatever it is. 
because what we do is really a factor of how the world occurs to us. And if it occurs is like, well, there's, you know, somebody that's going to push you in the pool and not there yet, well, it might be easier for you to jump. Yeah. There are some people who um, really go after that. I, I was just now looking on YouTube because I had seen an interview the other day, and I'm not finding the skater, but he mm. is as famous in the skating circles as Tony Hawk is to all of us who don't skate. Oh, wow. You know, he's the mm-hmm. really, but this guy is who Tony Hawk looks up to and everything. And um, he, he was being asked in the interview why he threw away all of his trophies. And he, he invented moves that kids use to this day and that people in competitions use to this day in skating. I mean, he's got moves, lots of them named after him. And then he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's won every competition. He, he came up when there were no competitions and helped create them. And he had lots of trophies and he got sort of a uh, uh, big question mark over the Internet's head about one day finding out that he threw away all his trophies. And his mm-hmm. explanation, to paraphrase, was I, those things just don't mean anything to me. And he, he described a story about comfort and about um, getting too comfortable with your accomplishments and everything else. He said, mm-hmm. I'm just naturally prone to when I achieve a certain level, see a lot of other people going, hey, I'm at this level now. I don't have to do this, and I don't have to do that, and I don't have to. They end up not challenging themselves as much anymore. And he spent his entire life throwing away his trophies, figuratively and literally. And because he's scared to death of that comfort, he's like, when I lose that edge, I feel like I'm beginning to die. He described it that way. And that guy is most definitely different than a lot of the people that I meet and he's way different than me because I, I will keep a trophy. I will keep an accomplishment <laughs> and use the heck out of it. I use my inbound marketing certificate uh, at HubSpot as a trophy and I put it on everything I can to show clients, <laughs> but I'm also proud of it. It's not just to show clients. I'm proud of it. And, and I just really do think that there are people like that. You have to wonder what makes them tick exactly. Because he's pretty hardcore, and I sense that there's a lot of that in you as well. Yeah, well, there's that saying, like, you're either growing or you're dying. And I I think that's true. And, I, again, there, there's space for relaxation and there's space for comfort zones in there. But he's really, it sounds like, taking it to the extreme, more extreme than I, yeah. I probably could. But the sentiment I love of, like, yeah, burn the ships. There's always something more to do. And if you haven't accomplished what you want, well, then, you know, burn whatever those ships are. Yeah. I used to say a lot when, uh, you know, describing to people what I was doing when I started uh, working online and eschewing the corporate world and all of that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> as, you know, not just burning bridges behind me, but also pulling a pin out with my teeth of a grenade and throwing that just to make sure it's blown up and destroyed and there's literally nothing left there. And I think I was always talking in context of, you know, pissing people off that would have the power to take me back into the fold of normal society and work (laughs) situations and making sure they would never, ever invite me to be interviewed again. (laughs) And uh, I used to get into that a lot. I haven't used that analogy. And I think, that's another thing is you have to always, always 
do your work, whatever that work is, like your morning routine and then the things that you do throughout the day that you described earlier. I mean, that's another thing that I find very common in people who are really successful is routines and that they never stop doing it. And some people have to do crazy things like throw their trophies out and burn, you know, crazy bridges, <laughs> maybe that not most people would want to do, but everybody's got something that you guys stick to. Can you talk a little bit more about routine and about what you are willing to do or not willing to do in order to keep your edge, keep innovating, and stay on top? Yeah, I use discomfort as kind of a a litmus test for where am I on that spectrum. And within a given day or given week, if I don't have some discomfort, you know, worry, scared, something along those lines, and I say, okay, no, no problem, but I just didn't push myself. My, my routines, my plans, everything that was there are the same as they always have been. Now, I, I think the routines are so important because they give you like one foot in order. If we look at the world as like a balance of chaos and order, right, the yin and yang. Uh, yeah. If the routines give you that order to stand in, then the chaos is stepping into something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. And if it's, it's too uncomfortable, it's debilitating, right? It's so scary you yeah. can't even do it. And that's no good either. It's walking the line between those two worlds where, yeah, you've got enough of a routine and you're sticking to it and you know it and you're comfortable in it. And at the same time, it's not limiting you from what's ultimately possible. Yeah. That's really, I, I just have images of Zen Buddhists and uh, um, who are the fighting monks, the ones that are really, the Shaolin monks that can really kick everybody's butt and do very, very uncomfortable. They stand on their heads for hours and hours and then all the pressure on their necks and everything else. And, but then you see in another shot they're meditating for an hour a day or something like that. And uh, there's an awful lot of power behind the word balance and the seeking of it has become a global industry with all of the self-improvement stuff and personal development and everything else that's out there. I mean, I think, isn't that the core of all of that people who are seeking balance among some other things? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the monks might've been onto something there. Yeah. You, you're right. For hundreds of years, humans have known this and at different periods, cultures have been better or worse at it depending on, on where they're at. But today is a, a great time because there's so many different resources around there. And it, it, it's funny you say the balance between the fighting monks and the meditating, because recently I've, I've started to pull together kind of keeping that balance between chaos and order, not just in business, but in uh, physical exercise. And so I started signing up for physical activities that push my boundaries. And my next thing is I'm, I'm not a bicyclist. It's a brand new thing to me. I bought a bike like six weeks ago and I signed up for a hundred mile race in Utah. I think it's this coming Saturday, which is just like, it's crazy. And it scared me and I didn't want to do it. And I've got some friends doing it. And I was like, you know what? Like, that's a great translation for me. That's a great mental exercise to take something that, I'm a little bit worried about doing. I'm maybe not in the best shape for and going out and doing it anyways. 
and pushing that boundary physically of what's possible at the same time as the mental one. Is it possible that what you're doing in situations like that is you're traveling to a place that you're now at least comfortable signing up for it and going to it if it even is not comfortable (laughs) when you're doing it, but doesn't that put you in a place of growth? Don't you feel like maybe what's going to happen here in this hundred mile thing is what's happened many, many times before is you've thrown yourself overboard and just, I'll figure out how to swim when I land in the water kind of thing. Isn't that a sweet spot for you? Don't, what kind of craving do you have for that? A lot of people might be hearing this going, God, he's crazy. Why does he beat himself up like that so bad? But I don't hear that when I hear you say that. I hear that you're anxious to get to that race and you wish it was tomorrow. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been training intensely for it, right? Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm going to do that. And the trick of all of this, I think is in how I signed up for this thing, which was when I heard it, I was a little bit, like, yeah, I don't really want to do that because I knew what it would take. And I signed up anyways. And only after signing up did I buy the bike, start the training, figure out the diet, um, learn more about the bike, how to change a flat tire. Like, that all came after I said, yes, I'm going to do that. You signed and up given and then you me. bought the bike. You didn't even have the bike That's before right. you signed up. Okay. That's just, right. Just wanted to make sure everybody heard that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was intentionally so because I'll figure out, all people will figure out how to do something once they're on the line for it. And it's going back to what we're saying about burning the ships, right? Like I paid money. Huh. I'm going to be in the race. Other people are expecting me to be there. I'm going to figure out how to get that thing done. So I'm going to use these six weeks to figure out how to do that. And you're right. Like I'm, I'm ready now. There's no question in my mind that I'm going to make it because I've done what, you know, I had to do with the trading rides and everything else. And, yes, it was painful, and, yes, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I also see something new as possible for me, right, which is actually finishing that ride somewhere that I thought was maybe possible but only as an intellectual exercise. I didn't know, like, oh, my God, I can do that. And there's a difference. I mean, you could stay on the speaking circuit. I'm sure you could, at your level, just stay parallel to the ground, probably for the rest of your life. I mean, you could manage to do that. It would probably bring up lots of problems. But still, a lot of people would look at where you are at in your career and and go, why don't you just stop now? Because you've got everything, and, and we're all just working for this kind of thing so that we can have that, and we would be happy if that's all, isn't that a famous saying? I'd be happy. I'd be happy for the rest of my life if I just had this. And the, <laughs> I laugh about that because I'm like, no, the hell you wouldn't. You would absolutely yeah. not. I don't care what it is you're talking about that you're going to get. You're not going to be happy, not for very long. And now you have described something where you're jumping in the pool before anybody pushes you. Life isn't pushing you. I'm sure everything's going great. You, there's challenges in your business and, and things like that, but. I bet it's gotten to a background level, mainly because mm-hmm. you're signing up for 100-mile races before you even have the tool to do the race. Like, you're, <laughs> you're imposing those things on yourself now. Life isn't. Continue to do that. And that's really what I yeah. love to explore, because what is that? Is there a name for that? Is there, like, the sweet spot that you get in when you're in 
tremendous pain. Your thighs are burning. Your lactic acid is going crazy, and you're only on mile two. And But you know you're going to finish, and you know you're going to do all this stuff, and you put yourself in that situation on purpose. What's that called? Yeah. Yeah, well, I I think it's really interesting because nothing has like really changed about me. I'm still the same person as I was, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah. I look similar. Maybe my beard's a little longer, something along those lines. Right. But it's not like I turned into somebody else, but what's happened is a cognitive process where instead of like hoping having desires for things, trying to get somewhere, like always being in pursuit of, it's just accepting that what it is, what life is, is being in pursuit of. It's a mountain with no top. Because once you achieve whatever that thing is, that thing moves. It's like the carrot. And without continually being like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm happy exactly where I am with exactly what I have, with exactly the capacities, the fears, the likes, the loves, and everything else. And I'm committed to something more. It's that sweet spot I I think you're pointing to. And as soon as you come to terms with whether life pushes you in the pool or you jump in the pool yourself, with that realities of where you are and understanding that, yeah, well, I heard you only get this thing we call life once. And you get to choose what you want to do with it. And whether you want to be victimized by, oh, I got to go on this 100-mile bike ride, or if you want to be empowered by it, like I get to do this thing because it's in that Mm -hmm. ride, it's in the pursuit of that ride that the fulfillment actually exists. It's really incredible. It begins to be something you chase. Like I I just picture you chasing something. And something that, I mean, if we were conscious at all of, of, ourselves or our lives or, or whatever we were before we were born. And, and some people say we, we, we took part in designing this whole experience that we're having, which is clearly made to never stop and you never get anything done. You never get everything done. You're always moving. The mountain has no top, all that kind of stuff. It seems that this physical experience has been designed very specifically this way, not accidentally this way. And I, and I don't see a lot of people um, realizing that. Like from cradle to grave, I think a lot of people really get wrapped up in this whole school, work, retire, die kind of thing. And we just made that up. We made that up here as physical beings. I think when we were something else or whatever designed this whole thing, clearly wanted us to get the idea of what you're talking about, which is you, there's always more to do and you never get it done. And you're not supposed to. Right. You're not supposed to get anything done. I mean, how boring right. would it be? I mean, if we were going to design this experience, would we ever have put limits on ourselves? Other than, you know, the obvious, you know, we need to breathe above water and that kind of crap. Some of us don't, though. Some, some of us can't breathe out of water. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's designed this way. And Is it weird for you to stand on stage and go around uh, the country, around the world, and talk to people pointing to something that, at once is profound and at the same time super duper obvious. Like, why do you feel like you have to tell people this stuff? Like, all this, why don't we already know all of these things? It's just strange, right? And I, I think people do already know. 
right? There's, especially these days with all the podcasts and books and everything else out there, it's not a factor of knowledge. It's a factor of action. And uh, reminders help in having people take action, which is you know, one of the reasons that I do speak and that it makes a difference for people is because they may be hearing something newly. Not that I'm making new words or even stringing new sentences together and certainly not inventing new ideas. You know, it's, it's all really been done before, but when people hear something new for themselves, they discover something new for themselves, they can actually take a new action. And that first new action might be enough to get things rolling. And, you know, what the incredible thing is to me, and I, I don't know if I'd call it design flaw or, or something else, but something that humans really have to watch is things that we want, things that we love, things that we're committed to very easily become the mundane. You know, if I just bought a brand new sports car, well, that's great for a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden it fades into the background and it's just something that I have. Right. Yeah. If I've got a, a, I get my dream job that I've waited, you know, decades to have, and I finally have this incredible job that I want to have, well, how long before that just becomes a job? And you have to wake up in the morning and have your coffee and show up at 8 a.m. at whatever time it is and deal with it, whatever you deal with. You forget, we forget, oh, yeah, this is actually what I really want to be doing. This is what I love. This is what I wanted. (laughs) And if you don't remind yourself of that, nobody else will, you know? Yeah. Jim Carrey is uh, sort of famous for saying that um, he wishes that everyone would uh, become a famous celebrity and make a whole bunch of money so they can see that that's not it or something like that. And he's sincere. Anybody who's followed Carrey lately, I mean, whatever he's saying, he means it. And he he totally desires that everybody become famous or get a bunch of money or get whatever, get everything they want so that they can quickly see that that's not it. And I think he almost is he's proud of himself for attaining that as, as he did in his life so that he could live the rest of his life, a big bulk of it, with that knowledge that you're never done. It's never enough. There's, not, there's no such thing as enough. It's only more. We're here to expand. Yeah. I mean, we're in an expanding universe, right? This whole thing yeah. is designed to expand. And when we just sit and, and expand the universe and just decide we're not going to move, or we just find ourselves not moving, not consciously doing it, but just waking up sort of and going, wow, I'm not doing anything, that creates friction in a universe that's designed to grow and is constantly and has always been growing. It kind of, yeah. man, it really gets a little bit metaphysical, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it, it does. Yeah, it, it does walk this line between... Yeah, the physical things that you have to do today and the, the mental, spiritual, uh, you know, metaphysical side of things to keep you going, to keep you in the game, to keep you expanding. Um, one of the things I did was, well, yeah, I, I love speaking. It's like my favorite thing to do these days, by the way, which is kind of funny considering how much it used to scare me. But we built a community around people that are doing things and pushing those boundaries, specifically in talking around the things that they want to do, presenting it in a way, and then, you know, joining me on some of these bike rides or triathlons, whatever else we're up to. Because when you've got people around you that are empowering you to do different things, 
then all of a sudden it becomes a little bit easier. There's some accountability. There's friends that are also in the struggle. So you jumped in the pool and you had such a great time that you wanted to turn around to everybody who was still on the edge of the pool. Remember that when you were a kid? Did that happen to you? It happened to, it happened to me. It was like, wait, I figured something out. And I turn around immediately and I want that experience for everybody else. And I know that the only way to yeah. get even remotely close to that experience again for myself is to go do something new because I've already done this and I won't ever get back to the exact feeling that I had when I finally conquered that diving into the pool. But the next best thing yeah. I can do is turn around and wave everybody else into the pool. Is that sort of yeah. kind of what you do? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's giving it to others. I mean, I think there's 7. Point, what 7.4 billion people in the world. Very few of them are talking. Very few of them are talking about what they care about, what's meaningful to them, what they want to change in the world. And, and there's some of it, right, especially with social media these days. But if we have a larger mass of people, a critical mass of people, talking about what they think with other people, talking about what's possible with other people, I, I think we can solve a lot of the challenges that we have today. People have the answers. They're just not sharing them. And as we get people inside of communities where they're more comfortable doing those things and they're starting to push their boundaries, um, they're able to share some of those things a little more openly, a little more authentically. And there's magic in that. Why do you think we don't know what to do? When you, when do you, you look at a dolphin and an elephant and a butterfly and a tree, there is absolutely no doubt in anyone's mind that they all know exactly how to elephant, tree, dolphin, and they know what to do, that they're just being yeah. dolphins. They're just being, why were we the only species that we're aware of popping out that has to be taught everything? And what we're teaching each other when we pop out is very questionable at best. It, you're a Protestant. This is your religion. This is your thing. This is what you do. This is what we do. This is our culture. You know, I mean, in the Faroe Islands, they kill whales. And these little kids, mm -hmm. they get on the beach with these great big knives and they are stabbing these knives into these beautiful, innocent, perfect creatures. And that was tough, yeah. right? That's not something the kid ever yeah. wanted to come out and do. Why didn't we come out yeah. wanting to do stuff like that? Like knowing that I'm a cat or I'm a bird or I'm, a, this is a human. We are humaning. This is what we do. So strange. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I might consider that this is what we do. And like other animals learn. Hold on. Right. Blow the mind. Hold on. Got to slip. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Okay. Good. Wow. Okay. <laughs> like, like really, you, you know, other animals learn from their parents, from their communities and so on. But we're in some ways the only animals that are able to be conscious about it, that are thinking about it. You know, when a, I'm trying to think of a good example. When a lion is chasing after a gazelle and the gazelle gets away, the lion isn't thinking, oh, God, I'm a failure. I can't do that again. I might as well just throw in the towel. It's just they're like, okay, where's the next gazelle? You never see you never see a lion calling Tony Robbins when he's having an impala problem. Right. He just figures right. it out. Yeah, it, it, to me that says, well, that, that's the mental game, Right. That's where you need to see something new as possible and use every one of those failures or seeming failures or whatever it is as something that teaches you, oh, 
well, I need to do something different. Not that I can't do that, shouldn't do that, have no right to do that. Somebody else should do that because they're better than me. None of that's true. We've made that stuff up as humans. In fact, worse yet, we've made it up ourselves. And when you get free from that, which looks like, yeah, doing the things that you don't want to do, going on the bike ride, jumping on the plane, standing up in front of the group, applying for a new job, whatever it is, then you take yourself out of being stuck in your own head to actually accomplishing the things that you want to accomplish. I think it goes back to comfort again. I think we got smart enough to develop agriculture so we weren't constantly hunting in polis like the lion. The lion has absolutely no choice if it wants to live, even if it sprained its leg or something like that in the chase that failed, but to get back up and figure out how to get another impala or he's going to die. Literally, it's just so black and white, but here we've given ourselves buttons to push that accomplish amazing things that back in the day would take us all day or weeks. And we used to not eat regularly. This whole three meals a day thing is really super recent in human history. And we were just as hungry as that lion at one point. And we got into a comfortable situation, but that put us inevitably in charge of giving ourselves those kinds of challenges again. I mean, it's like we have to fast on purpose because there's so much food, at least in this country, that there's literally you can't swing a dead cat without hitting something to eat. And in order to accomplish any kind of a goal, we have to do a thing called fasting. I don't think lions call it fasting. I think they call it hungry. (laughs) And then they try to solve that problem, and they can't until they do something extraordinary, like figure out how to ambush and capture prey. And we took all of that stuff away from ourselves. We have big combines that scoop up our corn and all this stuff. And so now we have people like you who are going roaming the earth showing everybody this fact and here's how you do it here's here's how you get better at it is that kind of true yeah yeah i mean we have the luxury of comfort today and what you said is kind of funny because if the lion doesn't catch the gazelle i don't think it also thinks like oh i better catch the next one or i'm gonna die it's just as continually in action Mm -hmm. right we're the only species that has the luxury, the, the brain power, the ability to think like, oh, yeah, if I'm not able to catch prey, if I'm not able to get paid, if I'm not able to work for, you know, three months, six months, 12 months, well, then I'm, I run out of money. Then I'm going to die. Then I'm going to lose everything that's important to me. And when we get lost in that, which the comfort, by the way, allows us, gives us the flexibility to indulge in those worries, those concerns, those considerations, well, then that's what ends up happening. If we're always stuck in comfort worrying about the what ifs and how abouts and um, everything else, then we're actually not taking the action to do what we want to do. Because if you look at everything there is to do is a, a series of possibilities, right? Like anything is possible. You just have to kind of set your sights on something. If you start to take actions towards that, well, there's a good chance you're going to accomplish it or accomplish something. There's going to be some result coming out of the actions that you're doing. But without actions, you don't get any results. You know, it occurs to me that uh, in all the nature shows I've ever seen, uh, 
lions in Kenya don't have mental institutions either. Like we've given ourselves right. or we have ended up becoming a species that if you do not harness what the, what you've been talking about today, if you just yeah. passively live life, uh, it can drive you crazy with the power that we've been given. That power can drive us absolutely nuts. And it, and yeah. we have whole giant buildings all over the world that are filled with people who have totally lost it. And we have explanations for that, but I wonder, I wonder if the biggest explanation is they just lost their tether and they lost their ability to, to harness this incredible, immense power because we just don't have the ability to reflect on the world like you and I just did and go, wow, triangulate. All right, here we are. Wow, that's a lot of power. I better... I better take a hold of this and manage this <laughs> or it's going to do it to me. And, uh, yeah, humans, man, we're weird. So <laughs> yeah. where can people yeah, find are. out more and about I, you? I, where, can people, where can people get in your sphere of influence before we run out of time here? I want to make sure everybody can follow you. Yeah, definitely. The best place to find me is sterlinghawkins.com. And you can get in our newsletter. You can get involved with some of the activities we're doing and sign up for some of our courses around how to present and talk to people. Final words. In light of everything that we talked about today, which was, I bet, way weirder than you thought it was ever going to get, <laughs> um, what, what, what do you want people to walk away with? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It's, it's really been a pleasure. And I think if folks take anything, it's, you know, find find discomfort. Find somewhere in your lives, in your career, in your home, find something that scares you a little bit, that stretches you outside, which you, you know, wake up wanting to do, and then do that thing. And then tell us about it. Nice. Nice. Well, thank you so much, Sterling, for taking the time to be on Leverage Masters today. I'd love to continue this conversation. An hour is not enough. So I hope you uh, consider coming back in the future. I would love to. Great being with you guys. Thank you. Thanks so much, Sterling. Thanks, Jack. Great show. And we will be back same time, same place next week. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Black Book page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters. Bye.